Well, tonight we have a familiar story, and yet, despite it being familiar, it is in fact powerful because it is a picture of the gospel. So we will be looking together at Hosea chapter 3. So if you have your copies of God's Word, please turn to Hosea chapter 3. Before we dive into the story, it's important to grasp the prophetic context. Hosea's name means literally deliverance, salvation. And he was called to prophesy during the time that the northern and the southern kingdoms were split. He was called to go prophesy to the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was spiritually bankrupt, rampant idolatry was in their midst, and there was moral decay all over. The major concern of Hosea is the worship of Baal, which was a Canaanite god who would often make the appearance throughout Israel's history. And Israel had gone after this God, this other lover that is how Hosea describes it. But what sets Hosea apart from all other prophets and is unique to him is how he symbolically lives out the message to the people of God. And so as we read Hosea 3, you will see Hosea symbolically living the message that he's seeking to convey. So this is Hosea chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leketh of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You must not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god, gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Lord, as we approach this message, would you help us to understand it in its beauty, in its symbolism? Would you help us to see Christ written on every single word in this chapter? Give us ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Who among us doesn't love a good love story. And guys, I'm talking to you, because we both know, even you rough men do still love a good love story. And we've all experienced that rush of emotion, haven't we? 
when the couple that we've been rooting for in the, the movie or the book finally gets together. Against all odds, whether it's the heartwarming online romance of Kathleen Kelly with the, the small bookstore around the corner, she meets up with Joe Fox, the big retail box office bookstore, or the charmed tale of Rapunzel and Flynn Rider, if you are a Disney movie fan, who goes off on the adventure to find the, the floating lights. Or maybe the timeless epic of Wesley and Buttercup as Prince Humperdinck is trying to marry Buttercup. These stories, and you could add more to the picture, for there, for there are many of them. They tug at our heartstrings, don't they? And at the end, they leave us celebrating. But why exactly is it that the culmination of a love story evokes such a strong and powerful response in us? Perhaps it is because deep down, all of us long for our life to mirror these stories of love and redemption. Perhaps it is because deep down, we long for our lives to find sense and fulfillment in the world. Well, today, as we encounter this story in Hosea, we find a, a narrative, we find a love story that surpasses all love stories in its depth and significance. It's a story, ultimately, that reminds us of God's unfailing love for his people. It invites you to join in celebrating this truth. And so the charge of this text to you tonight is to celebrate God's unfailing love. To celebrate God's unfailing love. What I want to show you by the time that we are done is four reminders that this text gives us. So here we will begin with the first one. The first reminder to celebrate God's steadfast love is because He pursues you. Because He pursues you. Look at verse 1. Hosea is instructed, he says, God says, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. It doesn't say that she was an adulteress. It says that she is an adulteress. She is actively in the midst of this sinful lifestyle. And it is into this that God tells Hosea to go. To go and find her. And because she was living an adulterous life, this was also grounds for divorce, according to Deuteronomy 24. So Hosea already had the out. He didn't have to run after her. He had the out. It was there. And from this, we find a very important principle. Hosea is directed to love even when 
I would argue, especially when it must be incredibly difficult and hard to do so. You see, the, the world has a notion of love. We, we see it all over the place, don't we? It's this idea of being captivated, to being enamored with the person in front of you, and to follow that enamoration, that, that capturedness of your mind, wherever it leads you. But you see, the Scripture's notion of love is completely different, isn't it? It's largely a matter of the will. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. God tells Hosea to go love this woman who is committing adultery. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Maybe as you're reading this, you thought, well, okay, turn to other gods, that makes sense. Root it all over the Old Testament. What about these raisin cakes? That seems a bit odd to focus on that. Maybe you like raisin cakes. Maybe that's your thing. Should you not have them anymore? We see these raisin cakes carry significance, weighty significance and weighty symbolism, especially in the Near Eastern culture. They were often used as fertility rituals associated with pagan worship. If you were to go to Jeremiah 7, verse 18 illustrates a similar kind of syncretistic practice among the Israelites who offered cakes to the queen of heaven, who is a pagan fertility goddess. So the very mention of these raising cakes is significant because it symbolizes the spiritual idolatry, unfaithfulness to God, and rejection of true worship for empty rituals. And yet, God relentlessly pursues his people despite their waywardness. And why does he do this? It's because he has set his affection upon you. It's because God has set his gaze upon you to run after you even when you are running away from him. You and I were when we were left to our own devices, we would never, ever run to God. We would always, in every single circumstance, run to our sin and run to the ritualistic cult practices or whatever it is that society is telling us to run towards. In this very pursuit that Hosea is symbolizing in his pursuit of Gomer, who is actively committing adultery, signifies and symbolizes God pursuing you, even when you do not pursue him. God pursues you. What greater reason is there to celebrate? There is nothing special about any one of us, yet God runs to us. So celebrate God's unfailing love. Firstly, because he pursues you. 
And secondly, because he purchases you. Verse 2 goes on and says this, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leketh of barley. Well, there's a lot of debate on what exactly all of those things symbolize. The traditional interpretation of that is simply put to understood and understand that Gomer is in fact in some kind of slavery. Now, how do we know this? Because Hosea has to go and buy her. And to add to this, very interesting picture, this is his wife. This isn't This isn't someone he hasn't already made a commitment to. This is his wife who he was told to go and buy. But when you look at Gomer, you really do see the the vivid foolishness of sin. See, sin often entices you with promises, doesn't it? Promises of pleasure, promises of fame, fulfillment, and happiness. It presents itself as a path to satisfaction and freedom. But the reality is quite different. Sin leads to your enslavement, discontentment, and misery. It traps you in destructive patterns, leaving you empty and dissatisfied. And while it might give you temporary pleasures, and it will, they will never lead you to true, lasting satisfaction and joy. And this is how Hosea finds his wife. A slave. Can you imagine the picture in this setting? The text doesn't give us many details. But our minds could, could picture it. He, this godly man in this city, maybe he's known by people, going down this alleyway where a godly man should never be seen or would never be thought to be seen, to search the, the streets to find a wife who had left him, whose heart was far from him. But, it, but this is how God finds you and me. When God found you, and listen very carefully, when God found you, when God found me, we were enslaved to our sin, shackled and bound. We wanted nothing to do with God. We had no desire for Him or His glory or His goodness. We were running after the trinkets and the treasures of the world. This is how God finds you. You had nothing to give. Nothing of value intrinsically in yourself. Nothing except a debt. A debt so very vast that you could never possibly repay. And it didn't take 
15 shekels, a homer, and a leketh of barley to buy you back, did it? It took Jesus Christ to die a cursed death as a criminal on the cross, shedding his blood. in order to buy you, in order to buy me. Celebrate God's unfailing, steadfast love because he pursues you, he purchases you. Thirdly, because he purifies you. Verse 3 goes on to say this. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. There will be a period of time defined as many days, an unspecified period of time. And this, this time frame will be one where God will remove the presence of those things that had led Gomer, that had led Israel into her unfaithfulness and apostasy. But then he says this. He says, so I will also be to you. He's not just going to purge her of all of the impurities but then he promises that he's going to be with her every step of the way, being faithful, being steadfast, never ever leaving her. That in case there was any doubt in her mind, it is now put away. So I will also be to you, faithful. But what were the things that Israel was to be purged from that were depicted by Gomer in this passage. It says it in verse 4. It says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Did you see all those things? This list represents all of the political issues, the kings, the, the princes that had been leading God's people down dark and dreary paths of destruction, away from the presence of God, away from God's goodness. All of these symbols here were part of Israel's past idolatrous lifestyle. The ephod, the the pillar, the, the sacrifices are all idolatrous worship of Canaanite gods, specifically Baal. Even Jeroboam, who was the king during this time, he was the one that set up an altar in Bethel and other places. He even made it illegal to go to Jerusalem. And God was saying in all of this, look, I'm going to take away all of these things, all of these distractions, all of this, these things that are leading you away from my presence. 
All these false manifestations of worship. For what purpose? All of these things, while they are there in the heart of God's child, would detract and make it difficult for the rekindling of the affections for God in Israel's heart. They had to be removed so that Israel could again long for her king, long to return to the presence of God. And he does this through all of these trials, all of this purging. And this is how God does it with us today as well. How does God make you like Christ? It's through taking you through trials, through tribulations. Specified by a period of many days, because sanctification takes a long time, doesn't it? But it's during this process that God is refining His people. During the period of many days, Israel is being refined. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, And all this you greatly rejoice. All of these trials, all of these tribulations. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even the refined by fire, may result in praise glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All of this is God's grace. All of this is God's goodness. And He promises in the midst of this purification process that He will be with you. He will be with His people to make her more beautiful than she could ever do on her own. And this is cause to celebrate. This is cause to celebrate God's unfailing, steadfast love. So celebrate it, God's people. Because He pursues you. Because He purchases you. Because He purifies you. But not only that, I have one more thing, one more reason for this text to cause you to celebrate. And it is this, celebrate God's unfailing, steadfast love because he prospers you. See, this purification process in verses 3 to 4 is not an end in itself, but a means to an end aimed at prospering God's people. It says in verse 5, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. David, by this time, had been long dead. And for centuries, animosity and division were rampant between the northern in the southern kingdoms. Unity seemed to be far, far away 
if not nigh impossible. And who is this David? David is already dead. It's nothing other than Jesus Christ himself. Hosea's prophecy points to a time, a future in the latter days, where the bride of Christ, who has been pursued, purchased, purified, will prosper under the leadership of King Jesus Christ with a prosperity that is not lying in earthly riches or treasure or power. It is a prosperity rooted in the intimate communion with the Almighty God Himself and in experiencing His goodness and His richness for all eternity. We have such cause to celebrate. And as we conclude and celebrate God's steadfast love, this is really only a cause to celebrate for those who embrace it. Some of you in this room, maybe some of you on the live stream right now who maybe just tuned in, maybe watching for the first time, maybe on the fence wondering whether this Jesus is really real. And you're still celebrating that freedom that you currently live in to do whatever you want, whenever you want, irregardless of who it harms or hurts. You might be going after other lovers, following the riches of this world. If that's you in this room, or if that's you on video call tonight, I want to tell you something. If you do not turn and put your faith and trust in Christ, your celebrations will only end in tears. But if you turn to Christ... Right now, in this moment, you can leap with joy and celebrate in a way that you have never been able to do before because you are offered today to come to the King of glory and He will welcome you into His kingdom and you will leap with joy unending because of His goodness. And so if that is you, what are you waiting for? He's waiting there with open arms, ready to welcome you in. And believers, I have said it again and again tonight, I'll say it again. We have much reason to celebrate. To celebrate God's unfailing, steadfast love. Because He pursues you. He purchases you. He purifies you. And He prospers you. And listen to this. One day, 
we will be presented to the greater David that was talked about in verse 5 that would come in the latter days, that has come. It will come again. To the lamb that was slain will be presented to him. And Jesus will say to you, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms. The blossoming vine spreads their fragrance. Arise, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And this will be both the end and the beginning of the happily ever after of the greatest love story that has ever been told. Lord, as we reflect on these things, who are we that you would pursue us? Who are we that you would purchase us by the precious, by your precious blood? Who are we that you would take our place, the punishment that we deserved, and ransom and redeem us from death itself? Who are we that you would purify us of all of our unrighteousness? Who are we that you would prosper us? And that even now you are preparing rooms for us in heaven. Who are we? We are your bride. Oh Lord, would you cause us to celebrate? What joy we have in Christ knowing these truths. Help us to celebrate your unfailing, steadfast love. And help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.